Welcome to the Why God Why podcast, where we answer the questions that you don't feel comfortable necessarily asking in church. I'm here with our phenomenal producer, Dylan Carnival, and I am also here with our co-host, John Amayo, who is the area crew ministry director. And we are here with a fantastic guest, friend of Browncroft. She is the executive director of Rochester Family Mission, Barbara Thomas. And Barbara is going to answer um, this wonderful question for us today. Why should I serve even though my life is falling apart? Yes. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll, we'll take it amen there. But yeah. yeah, John, what do you think? Well, I think this is a, a great question because I came up with it. And uh, <laughs> but, but more than that, I, I am just so thankful that we get to have a conversation with Barb today because... I respect her so much as a human being, and she has lived this out in her life. I've known her for many years now, interacted with her in a variety of settings, and I know that that this isn't just theory that we're talking about here. This is this is Barb's life. She lives, she serves, and she has endured a lot of heartache and pain at the same time in the midst of that, and yet she's continued to keep on going. And um, that is not the norm, I would say, in our society. I, I don't see that in a lot of people, but when we do, we should acknowledge it and we should celebrate it. And um, I would just want to celebrate Barb being here today and uh, her sharing her wisdom with us. So I'm excited to learn from her, even as we have this conversation today. Yeah, and, and just a quick thing too, you know, when I think about the biggest struggles of society, um, you know, I'm going to pick on millennials for a second. We love <laughs> to tell the stories about people that started their own nonprofits, but I think of someone like Barb that's meeting a need. You should talk to Barb before you start your organization. Mm-hmm. Like you should. And so I think serving opens us up for passions, but it also yes. partner with what God's already doing. So. Barb, let's get started. We talked enough. Thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> Thank you all for what you've said. I appreciate it because sometimes you need to hear that you're being appreciated for mm-hmm. the hard work. And it, and it is hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly want to tell you it's hard work. It's rewarding work. It's, it's not something you should take lightly. It's something that I believe that you're definitely called to do. Mm-hmm. I think that I have no choice but to do this because I was created for this. Wow. So, And when you know you're created for these um, situations and to serve, you know, as Jesus did, he was our greatest example. And he went in the tough areas. He sat among those who we wouldn't normally sit among. So I know that the position he placed me in is it's going to be something that's going to take a lot of faith. Yeah. Wow. You know. Man, that that might be one of the best intros ever. Let's yeah. let's just get started. Okay. Tell us the story of Rochester Family Mission. How did it happen, you know? Walk okay. us through it. Okay. So Rochester Family Mission started in 1927 and um it that's a long time. It's 95 90 plus years. Yeah. And I think that those men who had the vision of um, helping others, I think it was a great vision. I think Pastor Kali um, added to that vision. I think that because God, it was designed by God, and I, I can't give man 
credit totally because I believe it was divinely planned by God. And that is, that's why it's had been so successful in the 95 years. I believe that God knew that um, people needed help and assistance. Um, I, I believe in throughout these years, they've been serving people with giving food and clothing. I remember coming there as a child myself. So um, I am a missions kid. Um, when we, my family moved here from Georgia, um, making Georgia that is. And um, so I believe that God knew that his people would need some assistance. So he placed a mission in the heart of a place where they would, it, it was needed. So we came forth and um, I counted a blessing that he allowed me to even be a part of the vision, you know, um, it, I don't take it lightly because um, my mom would go there for food and, and, and things for us as we grew up. Mm. And I would come down for religious studies from number four school down the street when I attended wow. the school. I wish we still did that. Maybe the school system would be a lot better. But that's a whole <laughs> different topic. Um, but the mission has really had some wonderful leaders and have done a wonderful work. I've asked the question before to the community, what would happen if we moved or we shut down? And they came to the mission full force saying, you can't do this. I wouldn't survive. Some of the people who uh, struggled with cancer and other illnesses, who, who would pray for us? Wow. You know, so I know the mission has done a great work in these 90 plus years. And so I'm like I said, I'm just proud to be and thankful to God to be a part of that. Well, what a story, even for you individually, like as a child being able to be around the Rochester Family Mission, and now you're the executive director mm -hmm. of the place where you used to visit yes. as a young person. Yes. That is that that is a cool story. What when did that when did that happen that you were able to to serve in that executive director role? How long have you been in that role for? Well, I've been with the mission for 20 years. Okay. And so everything about my appointment at the mission is nothing but divine. Mm. Okay? Because I came there as a rice student. And many people don't believe in God, divine providence, and his and his plan for our lives. But when I came to a register in the rice courses, courses, I stepped on the step, and I really believe that God spoke to me and said that you would be the next director. And I took it like, you know how Sarah was when he, when she heard that she was gonna have a child. I was like, yeah, right. I know I must be, <laughs> you know, something going on in my head that's not. Right. So I just politely enrolled into my rice courses. And then at one point they, they were looking for a social worker. And when they were looking for a social worker, every time um, the then director would say, well, we're still looking for a social worker, I would say, not me. And I knew I had served in that capacity before in other um, positions. But I was determined not to do that. And on November 17th, and I know it so vividly because that's my birthday. Mm. And so on November 17th, um, um, 2090, probably 90 or 9, um, the direct, 98, 99, the director said, this is our last chance to get a um, someone to come in that will counsel the people in this community that need counseling. So I had to speak that night. And next thing I know, I, I said to him, okay, forget it. I'm going to do it. I will, if you would have me, I'll be the first social worker here. So he took me into his office and we did a mock interview. 
And he said, it's all yours. All you have to do is now pass the board. Mm. I said, the who? He said, the board. You have a second interview. So no problem. So I went to the um, interview with the board. Everything was going smoothly. You know, they had heard of me and heard my faithfulness as a student. And then they asked the question that really I did not want them to ask. And they said, um, why do you want this position? Mm. So my response was, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> because I had to be honest. Right. I said, I don't. But God it says this is the position for me. Mm. And so I didn't know being in that position was going to bring me to this position. Because within a few months after being um, appointed as the first social worker of the mission, I was acting director. Wow. And, the, and I mean, people would come by and say, this is what God wants for you. He wants someone in position to have a heart for the people. Mm -hmm. Not to say the others didn't, but he just wanted. And it was a difficult task because I'm the first female. Mm. And they did not want a female. Really? No way. Really? Now, this is a story. This is a story. Tell me this. How did you know that they did not want a female? Were they very explicit about this with you? Most definitely. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and I thank God for Dick Brutros at the time um, who kept encouraging me to hold on because he would believe that that's what God wanted. Mm. And so they interviewed different ones and then they would see if that person was a fit with me. Yeah. And I'll never forget when they said, Barb, we have decided to take this guy that interviewed from um, Africa. Mm -hmm. And we just want to know that you're going to be willing to work with him. I said, I will do whatever God says do, mm. to do. And I remember the day that I, when I, when I was acting director, they put me in the executive director office and everything went crazy. So they asked me to move from that office back to my social work office because a woman had never sat in that seat. And they and a lot of people were not going to have that. I'm not going to name them. Mm. And, and, and I heard God say, you go back humbly because when you sit here, no one is going to ever remove you but me. Whoa. And when you retire, you will retire because I said so. Mm. Okay, so I humbly moved back into that position and then things start working. And like I said, they interviewed this guy and they said, Barb, we're going to hire him. Um, we actually met here at, here at this, on this campus to um, go over the interview things and all that. And so they told me they were going to do it. They offered him the job and I, and it was three days, you know. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and on the third day, after, um, he responded and said, no, um, I'm not interested. I'm going to take the position in AIDS Africa. And so he said, but I have a question for you. He said, why are you not obedient to what God said? I know she doesn't look like what you're looking for, but I know she's the woman and the person's from God. So they, wow. said, so they said, thank you very much. Have a blessed day. We wish you the best inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so a few months went past and then Kevin Kuhlman called me to have breakfast with him. And he said, we give up. <laughs> we surrender. Wow. You are the person God would have for the position. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know what I love about it? You're, I'm sure it wasn't easy at the time, but, you know, our listeners can't see you smile this whole time. Uh, I want to go back to Barbara in her 20s. Did you think this is what you'd be doing? Well, actually, I was in my 40s then. But in my 20s, um, no. 
because in my 20s, I had lived in such poverty. I grew up on public assistance, and so um, I lived in poverty, and I wanted more for myself. So my plans were to go to college and and make good money, and and, and you know, and the scripture as what God told Jeremiah, I know the plans I have in store for you. So my plans was not God's plans. So I had thought that I'm going to go off to college and get my education, make all this money, buy this great big house, and live so, you know nice and comfortable. Well, God didn't have that plan for me because he, next thing I know, I'm in school to be a social worker. Mm. And you know, social workers don't make much money, Mm -hmm. just like the positions we hold right now. Mm. But um, God just let me know, I've always loved people and I was always there as a child to hear the pain. Mm-hmm. I was the person that kids came to that my same age group when they were being abused at home and when mm. they didn't have food. So even as a child, um, I was a caregiver. I was someone that people felt comfortable to, to touch me and, and to come mm-hmm. to reach out to me to, for mm-hmm. some support and for help and prayer. Mm-hmm. So um, God, that was God's divine plan mm-hmm. that I would be a helper. And I still do so now. Last night, I took a call for someone who had lost their child. So, and you know, all know, I, I lost two mm-hmm. sons to murder, and we'll get to those discussions in a little bit. But um, in my 20s, I had a different vision. God changed that vision from t- age 20, um, about 25 on. Um, and then he began to lay on my heart, uh, uh, just a pressing for the loss, mm-hmm. for those who... Um, who just didn't have anybody that would hear their pain mm. and their struggle. And and I, I had an open ear and I wasn't judgmental. Um, when those who had experienced all kinds of abuse and they were struggling with their sexuality, I didn't judge. I was there. I prayed and I helped them understand that this wasn't God's plan, although he allowed it and he will get the glory out of it, you know, and things like that. So um, from 20 to now 60, I'm still doing the same thing. Wow. I'm still, even though I'm in a director's position, my door is always open. Um, God has manifested himself in so many ways. Um, even in that realm, um, God spoke to me one morning and said to me, I'm going to show you how to even love the abuser. And I was like, not me. Mm. <laughs> God, how can I love somebody to keep hurting people? Mm. And that day I got to the mission and, and it, it, God showed me, you know, a young lady came in and as soon as she left the, her, the person she was talking about knocked at my door and I said, what do you want? You know? And the Lord mm. said, I said, love. And I had to show love and compassion and, and even tell that person that God forgives them. So, and it and it manifests itself, this, even not in with that situation, but then God said, I'm going to show you even deeper because now here's your two sons being murdered and I don't have hatred mm. towards the people who actually uh, murdered them. I don't, and I can't figure out why I don't. Mm. Well, let's go to that story. Okay. Um, you know, talk about your family and just kind of what you experienced and what happened. Okay. So I divorced early. I married early 
and then because I had children um, in high school, 11th grade on, and I married early and then I was left to raise three children, mm. uh, my three sons, and I loved them. Oh, my God. It was me and my boys. Mm. We were at church together and everything we did was together. Mm. And two of them had gotten murdered. And so now only one of them is still alive and he's serving God with me. He pastors with me. And he will soon take over the whole pastorship of that ministry. But my two sons were were very much, um, they were very loving, very kind. Jamar worked for the mission and um, they were out in different capacity. And then um, someone got into altercation and they got shot. One of them got shot um, in front of a pizzeria. The other one got shot right in his home. And I wanted to give up. I mm. wanted to stop ministry, but I just couldn't. Mm. And um, I remember both of them was murdered in November. And Mikey was the first one. He was my knee baby. He was that middle child. And anybody that's a middle child know what a middle child's like. Mm. And he needed a lot of affirmation and love. He was just my sweetheart. And when he was murdered, I was home trying to, call myself grieving and it's a time where it's um where we prepare for the holidays for the kids at the mission and i heard my son's voice just as clear get up ma you know you have to get those cards out to those churches so those kids can get toys and get up and stop grieving i'm all right and i said what this is crazy you know you don't understand why things happen and some people listening may think i'm crazy but i really heard that so i immediately got up got dressed went down to the mission sent all my cards out to the churches to make sure these kids get gifts and things like that and so it hurt it hurts when you lose loved ones and it especially Mm -hmm. hurts when you lose them in that way Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a lot of times you get a lot of anger build up. I can't say I was as angry as some people are. Mm. I Like I said, I can't explain it. But I know that I kept scripture in my heart. I kept Isaiah um, 54, 17. No weapon form against you shall prosper. And that it would form, but it would not prosper. Mm. And I felt like that my whole life was shaken, but whatever I, w- it, I was going through was not going to overtake me. Mm. And that takes me back to Isaiah again, when he said, you go through the fire and then it will not, well, it starts with the water and it would not overtake you. And, and you go through the flames and not any um, hair on your um, body will be singed. And, and I quoted scriptures like that. And even though he was talking to the Israelites, he was speaking to me that everything we go through here is right there in the midst of it. And so as I endured these tragedies, first my middle child, two years later, my my baby, my my baby, <laughs> you know, if anybody baby sons, they know how mothers are with their sons. And then after that, um, within a few months, my granddaughter dies of a rare disease called Roja, age six, and she was... Um, it, it, all that, just tragedy after mm. tragedy after tragedy. Then my mother and then, my, you know, and then my sister um, died two years ago, about three years, maybe two or three years ago, of, but two, of cancer. And I cared for her. And, um, and I, it was an honor and a privilege to care for her because through caring for her, I learned how to be humble. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I, and I took it as that. And, and as I faced these deaths on top of deaths, I was able to speak to others who lost their children through tragedy, who was dealing with their loved ones who were um, dying of cancer mm-hmm. and how you can love and serve and, and, and show the love of God to, to them. It was not easy. I'm not trying to make it easy. I cried many nights. I drove Strong Memorial Hospital crazy. When it concerned my family members, I, I remember with my sister Cheryl, I felt they was not doing her meds. And so I took control. And then I started, I created me a chart and made I just went crazy because I wanted her to serve her. I wanted to serve her like Christ wanted me to serve her. Mm-hmm. And um and I did that and then I made a promise to her I would get my doctorate because I took some time off yeah. to care for her. So I believe that God strategically allowed me to go through these things for others, for the phone call I received even last night. Mm-hmm. The young lady, why did God take my mother? And and what kind of God he is he that he will allow my mother to suffer? Mm-hmm. And I can't explain any of it. I can't see why my sister would sit there and, and 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 cancer would just eat her up. But I know God is a loving God. And I know he's faithful. And I know he'll never leave us or forsake us. I know that we have to begin to put all our trust in him. And even when we don't understand, we have to look to him for And even, I, even if he don't give us the answer, because he don't always give us the answer. Mm-hmm. I have a little system when he don't give me the answer. So I have this box that I store things in. And it's a box that I say, when I get to heaven, Mm. I'm going to ask God this question. So when things start troubling me and I can't find the answer, I just stick it in the box. It's safe in the box. And then I can go on and do what he wants me to do. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, when I get there, as the songs say, when I see Jesus, I'm going to forget about everything else. And the box would be insignificant. But while I'm still in the natural, mm-hmm. I have this box that I can store things with. In, and, I, and I'm not denying the pain, but it, it, it gives answers at a later date. Mm. You know, I have so many questions. As you were talking, you, you know that you get a quote attributed to you, to you at Browncroft. I, it, you can correct me, but I've heard people quote you and say, "Don't mistake my kindness for weakness." Is that <laughs> is that is that your quote? That is that is so. <laughs> that oh, is so. Well, uh, so, what I hear in that, I hear a lot of power and strength and living out the truth and grace of the gospel. But I also hear in your greatest tragedies. When you could have, and everybody handles them differently. Yes, they do. You could have slowed down or pulled back. Yes. You did. You decided to serve. Yeah. Why? Well, when it happened, when my first son, son was murdered, I had just came out of a missions conference at, at Browncroft. And at that mission conference, which was so wonderful, they catered to the missionaries. You may remember oh, that. Yeah, I remember they that. gave us gifts. Yeah. And, and I mean, I had never been to a mission conference where they catered to us. They had luncheons for us. They talked about our struggles being missionaries and they talked about us. And I was like, wow. 
and I cried and I was so happy. Somebody's concerned about what I'm going through as a leader. Mm. And somebody's really concerned about the weight that's on my shoulder, trying to figure out how to financially keep this ministry going, trying to figure out how to love and serve on my 13 grandchildren. Mm-hmm. 13, <laughs> and, yes, wow. and how to do what God says and also don't cheat them out of the love they deserve. Mm-hmm. And But they, at this mission conference, they catered to us. They gave us all kinds of little gifts. And I know you remember. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm on a high from that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm real high. And I'm think, thinking God really cares about me. Then, bam, mm-hmm. this happens. But I kept remembering what they did for me at Browncroft at that time. Mm-hmm. The love that was showing for me. And the people that just said they were praying for me. Remember how we talked to the missionaries that came from overseas and we told them how we were praying for them. Mm. And they said they were praying for us. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. and so it gave me part. strength. Yeah. And, and so I was already prepared for the tragedy. Wow. And so when the tragedy hit, I, I was able to keep it going mm. and, and think about why God created me mm. to serve and how Jesus went through tragedy, yeah, and he served. Yeah. I mean, as you tell in that story, your story, I'm just thinking about, you know, you're talking about you recently got your doctorate. Yes. That's a, oh, that's so amazing. That's so great. That's so cool. And uh, we were talking before we started recording, you know, I'm going to the same seminary you got your doctorate at. I'm doing that. <laughs> this summer, I had a class called Suffering, Pain, and Evil. I remember. Do you remember it? Did I you take it. that? No, yeah. I didn't take it. I saw it online. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Bar- Barbara's like, I'm not going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Barb could teach that class. <laughs> but I'm like, but but as that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about a lot of those principles, and I'm thinking about, what you're describing and and you know i think there's so few answers you know i mean i studied this you know for a semester i'm i'm studying this stuff and you'd think at the end of it you would have these answers right yes but you're left honestly as a human being i'm left still with the same questions that i have to put in that box of my own <laughs> yes. like you're describing too yes. You know, that that I don't know on this side of eternity. There are some things I just don't know. Mm. Um, And there's a certain humility about that. And to come to that place where you realize that. And um, I I appreciate that about you, that you're able to express it in that way. Um, As I hear you tell your story, I I just think about that idea of, of suffering and I think most people that I know who can really bless other people's lives or that I have that bless my life have been people who have endured suffering in one way or another. And it, I don't like that. Like, but do you find that that's a reality as well in the ways in, in your experience has the suffering that you've endured actually been used to bless other people's lives on a deeper level. I really believe that's why we all go through things. Mm-hmm. Um, we go through them for God to get the glory. Mm-hmm. It, it, we go through them for us to to grow mm-hmm. and to become more like him. My sister 
suffering. I mean, she suffered mm. cancer. Oh my yeah. God, she had colon rectal. It was awful. I became a nurse, which I hats off to all nurses, but I can I. Mm -hmm. When I had to shoot her with the needle, I passed out half the time myself. Mm -hmm. But through that, watching her suffer and all my own suffering, I gained strength. Mm -hmm. And I began to know who God is. And I think he allows us to go through things so we can know who he is. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that we find that we endure and others endure, like some healing won't happen on this side. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. um, some healing may happen on the other side. I remember visiting my sister with um, cancer and I remember going into Joan's room, you know, Harley's wife, Joan, mm -hmm. and watch and looking at her suffering mm -hmm. and, and then going up and down the whole cancer unit, praying for people and people. So our suffering manifests something greater than what we, we can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Man, man that's a lot. I am. Um... I want to come back to that, but I want to, you've, you've kind of brought up poverty uh. and our society is having this fascinating conversation about poverty. Mm -hmm. And I think it, we'd be remiss as we think about why should I even serve and falling apart? What are some of the biggest misconceptions about poverty that frustrate you when you hear, hear it being talked about? So for me, um, the thing that I hate the most is, I mean, dislike, I shouldn't say hate. Mm. The thing that I dislike the most is when people say they want to be like that. Mm. And that's far from the truth. Mm -hmm. At the mission, we see a lot of people that we help turn around and help us mm -hmm. and serve. Um, I, um, I wish people would understand that society, for the most part, has made a lot of people like that. Mm. that put people in that position. Um, it's nothing but the grace of God that I, raising three children by myself, um, not receiving any help, much help, not much at all, that it wasn't uh, um, a person that gave up and went to the streets. I remember serving at Open Door Mission um, Families Food, and I looked over at a young lady with three children, and I said, yeah, for the grace of God, that could be me. Mm. Okay, it's it's we take for granted that God has blessed us, mm. and we believe that um, some others are not as blessed because they're in a situation, and that's far from the truth. Um, the truth of the matter is, um, poverty exists, and everybody um, has to deal with it in their own means. Mm. That means if 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 you have been blessed through it, you should help those who have not been blessed. Everybody that's um, living in in poverty. Um, they, if they haven't given up, mm -hmm. it's just hard. Mm -hmm. Everyone who has, um, that we, I remember going to, to bed at night with not a, not food in my belly. I remember those days. So, and my mother tried and she washed clothes and she did hair for people. And she, she, she did things, you know, to, to make sure we had food. Mm. But I remember the days when we didn't have food. Mm -hmm. And no one could ever tell me my mother did not try. Mm -hmm. No, she volunteered in, at the mission before I even became a director. Mm -hmm. They knew her before they knew me. Mm -hmm. I wish I could be as loving as she is. Mm -hmm. She was, but poverty is something that plagues us, and I think it's because we've got 
away from what's real. Like a lot of people think that we need big cars and fancy homes and 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 and. I, I remember at, while at Northeastern Seminary, I read a book. We had to read a book, and I can't believe how much money we had. We spent on makeup, mm. and I mean there was billions of dollars being spent on makeup, where we have all these people going hungry. We we in reality we know there's not enough jobs for everybody to have, even if everybody could work. There's not enough jobs. Mm-hmm. So those who are left in poverty um, are, are a manifestation of our society, right? Mm. It's what's it's what's real. Yeah. So um, I think we just need to stop saying that's how they want to be, mm. and say, well, what really got them to that point? Mm. What made them homeless, and what made them to the point where they couldn't find a job, and 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 and, and um, things like that. You know, I, I believe that the, the key to help people out of poverty is to empower them. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not empowering them, you, you're, you're, the systemic problem continue to exist. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, oh my goodness. I feel like, again, I could go down 15 different threads with what you just said. Barb, we just, yeah we need to have you as like uh, a full-time guest on this show because all the stuff that you're saying, I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to ask you about this and this and this. And, 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 and by the way, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're doing, so we're recording this in July for August. We're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, yeah. we're in the middle of the conversations on race and like, like in all of this. And, and the reason why John and I wanted to interview you is because like, and again, I want you to respond to this is, Serving does so much. Yes. In this time, what are people missing out on by not serving in a place that's outside their neighborhood? Or do, like, what what are people missing? Well, when you serve, you have an opportunity to experience, mm. and when you have a, a, a opportunity to experience, you gain compassion. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of um, people that are coming down on Wednesday evening helping us um, with pass out food to over 40, 50 families. That's just the night shift, I call it. And the women, a couple women that are new at this are, are just amazed and, and their heart has changed and they are not as judgmental. And then also it's 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 unity. I am so blessed to be the at Rochester Family Mission because Rochester Family Mission has never been the black and the white to me. It has been the f- family. And everyone that comes down there, we all become family, no matter what your nationality is, no matter where you come from, how much money you make, Barbara Thomas is going to put you to work. Mm-hmm. And in and, 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 and doing so, I'm going to allow you to love mm-hmm. those who don't look like you. Mm-hmm. And things like that. So um, they're missing out on the opportunity to um, show, put their faith into practice, and to and to show others how much they love and and and, a lot, and learn how. A lot of people we come down to help and they become healed. Mm. Mm. They they think they're there to serve others and they get served, mm. and they become healed and the things of their past. Are, are moved away and in, in, in the struggles because whether you like it or not all of us have a past 
We do. I remember um, very briefly, I came to Browncroft and I had to talk to the children one day about giving at Christmas time. And while I was there, we had a young lady, a little girl. She kept interrupting everything I said. And she said she would say her mother was kind of embarrassed and I had to make it easy for her. And she said, well, I know what it's like to go hungry. And I'm like, oh, God. And she, I'm like, oh, you don't really know. She was like, yes, I do. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, you really don't, but okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to ease her to the side. And she said, no, my father left my mother. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just blew me away because all the children are looking at her. Mm-hmm. And she said, and he left us without money. Wow. Wow. And this is someone living in the suburbs now. So I have to now make the child feel better in the mother. Mm-hmm. My job does not stop at any time. Yeah. Wow. So what do you say in that moment? You brought me right into that story. Like, what do you, like, how do you, how, well, how do you, how did you navigate that? Well, and just, just to help our listeners, because I think this is helpful for Kat. Browncroft, we are in a relatively affluent neighborhood. Yeah. So just, if you're wondering, why is that a big deal at Browncroft? That's why, but... I want to hear your response. Well, what it did was it gave an opportunity for the mother to be real with the Brown Crawfers. Mm. And they gave her even more. Gotcha. Wow. See, gotcha. when see, we hide behind masks because I dare not tell you guys what's really going on in my home. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not supposed to have problems like this. Um, I'm I'm a brown grafter. I'm a suburban. I don't have these issues. But the child forced the issue to the forefront. Wow. And it was a blessing. Because those who heard the child persistently tell about how the she don't went to bed hungry before was able to go out and reach um, into their resources. Because Browncroft always shared their resources. But now they're sharing their resources inward too. Wow. You know? Yeah. It's just awesome. Yeah. You know, if I get too controversial, just, you know, just tell me to remember, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. (laughs) Don't mistake my... uh, (laughs) I love that quote. I use it a lot. But, um... So I feel like when we talk about poverty, when we talk about serving, there's like two solutions. Mm -hmm. One is it's all about personal responsibility. And I Mm -hmm. think that that leans towards what you said. Well, people chose to be in that situation and that it's a form of it. And the other side is kind of, well, we need to pump more money in government assistance. And like, I'm not saying that one of those is right or wrong. It just seems like we've tried to simplify this issue what are your thoughts on that? Well, so we can talk about all the pumping more money in the government's assistance and all that, all you want to. It is the church responsibility. It's always been the church responsibility mm. to care for the people. We cannot expect people not to say everybody in government is not a believer. I'm not saying that. But we cannot give the responsibility that God has charged the church with the government. Mm. Before there was a government giving, the church did. So my, and and someone asked, I think I was out at the Lakeshore and someone asked the question, um, am I angry at the government? Am I angry? I'm I'm not angry at anyone, but I don't expect non-believers to act like believers, supposed to act. Mm -hmm. So I expect the church to do what they're supposed to do. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's, That's how I feel. Right, right. And people might be surprised, my guess is, you would have an inside view on this, maybe more than a lot of people, but 
I, my guess is people might be surprised on how much many of the churches are doing yes. uh, within a community because it doesn't make front page news very often. And they don't want to hear it. Right. They really don't. They, they don't want to. Whenever I do a news clip and when they come out and I start naming the churches— Mm. And I say, oh, I thank God for, for, for you know, I don't want to start yeah. naming. But yeah. when I start naming them, yeah. every time I look at the show, it's clip gone. Really? It's, yeah. I'm, I'm not knocking the news. Don't, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But I think that they don't give the churches that are doing enough credit mm -hmm. because we are yet still alive. Rochester Family Mission because of the churches. Mm -hmm. OK, we were the close the door. When the pandemic hit in March, mm -hmm. by the end of March, by first week of April, the doors would have been closed if it wasn't for the church. Now, that's why I don't come hard on the churches, but I do believe the church can do more. Sure. Sure. I do believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's and that's a valid thing to chart to to say, hey, you're already doing something. Let's step it up a notch. Yeah. And let's let's see what bigger impact we can have right. in this community. But also show them that how I always tell the churches how much I appreciate them. Mm -hmm. Like right now, they're not getting enough letters from me of when they give because I can't do it all. Right. But we're, we're working on it. I appreciate all of you. <laughs> Hear that from genuinely from my heart. But I do want to let people know that um, churches are are beginning to shift into a more of a of a, of a Jesus mode. Hmm. Not that we wasn't there before, mm -hmm. but we're getting, there's a shifting going on in the church atmosphere that more of us need to do more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and in a lot of ways, I think, mm -hmm. not just in, in relation to giving, but probably a lot of ways. I, I it, do it, feel like I would be a little remiss if I didn't ask you this question mm -hmm. again. Like Peter said, you can say, John, not comfortable with that. <laughs> but as a woman who has lost two sons to murder, mm -hmm. the current cultural climate, like what is going, like what is in your heart? Uh, obviously you said you don't feel, you don't feel hatred. Nope. And I respect you so much for that. I, I really do. That makes me like respect you all the more. But but it certainly has to bring up some emotions. I would think it would bring up some emotions when you're seeing everything happen in the news, yeah. like Amon Arbery, for example, going out for a run and getting shot, or yeah. you know, uh, George Floyd, mm -hmm. uh, the Taylor. list. Breonna Taylor. I mean, the I list goes on and on. I mean, the the list is so long. So, mm -hmm. how do you deal with that in the midst of, like, like what? How do you deal with? those issues okay so when when we talk about the church giving more i'm not always looking to the church to give um financially mm. i look for the church to to give more in prayer i need prayer oh yeah. god um when the church pray and do all those type of things they hold us up they're mm -hmm. the they're the joshua in the and you know and mm -hmm. and and caleb and things like that um so when it comes to these other issues, I think the church needs to move move outside of the church and mm. and, and 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 help with these issues. Um, with all the deaths that has occurred, and 
all the it's a fear and it's really about fear in the land. Mm. And I think I'm gonna be careful how I answer this, but you know how I am. I'm just yeah, no, transparent as can be. Which I love about you. Yeah. It, it, so y'all throw your stones yeah. at me when I finish, but I'll duck. I got a shield. <laughs> I have a shield. Man, we're gonna tweet that. I love. It. <laughs> okay. You can throw the stones at me, but we're gonna. I'm gonna duck. I'm Anyways, go ahead. Duck. But I do feel that um, the only way we're going to deal with these issues are to start within the church. Mm -hmm. I do really believe that we need to, um, within the church body, start to love each other Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Because whether people believe it or not, there's, um, there's a disconnect in the church. Yeah. You know, between the millennials and... I'm not an old timer, but <laughs> but between, there's a disconnect, and um, I'm not avoiding the question. I want you to know that right now. But I'm yeah. I'm thinking carefully of what I want to say, um, especially the church's role. I just look to the church to do more. Mm-hmm. I believe that some of these officers and people that are in um, these positions that are doing some of these things, I believe some of them are church people, mm-hmm. and I believe that I believe there's a lot of um, people that sit within congregation that are police officers. So I believe that they have to stand up within their 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 people. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that the people who are um, who are actively involved and they're believers, they got to do something different. Mm-hmm. We cannot be a Peter and keep denying Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. on our jobs and in our place of work, mm-hmm. we have to. When we see the conversation is not glorifying the Father, we need to change the direction of the conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it needs to start in the church, mm-hmm. and and go from there. We are the salt, mm-hmm. and the world has no seasoning. That's why we see a pandemic and that's why we see the tragedy because the church have to get back to what the father has called us to do. Mm. You know, it's it's interesting. We'll we'll close with with this question, but just as you're saying that, um I'm thinking about we interviewed Marvin Mumford who's a worship leader a while ago and he just you know, he talked about the first 24 hours after the George Floyd and he said if the church had been prepared to respond, how much different? So I listened to your answer and there's no easy solution, but Mm. to hear the clear, where was the church is the most sobering, fair statement that we can give. Well, John and I love to close with this question. Barbara, we're gonna have you on again. Um, Actually, we're gonna do this on air. Okay. We we need to plan to have you on in November so you can talk about what you're doing in December for the kids, right? Yes. That, that would be fun. We should do that. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. Done. Yeah. We are <laughs> guys. If you, we have it on. We have it officially on file. If uh, if you ever wonder how we do interviews, this is how we do it. Yeah. So uh, there we go. So our question is: uh, What does Jesus have to say about this question? Why should I serve even though my life's falling apart? So John and I will go, and then. Um, we're going to say the Reverend Dr. Barbara yes. Thomas. Yes. She yes. Will, uh, oh, God. She'll, yes. she'll take us home. I love it. Anyways, John, get started. Well, I'm not going to, I'm going to let Barb do most of the talking on this. I feel like we've had some sacred moments here, even mm. in the midst of this conversation. And I don't want to uh, 
get too much in the way of that. I will just say this, that Jesus said this about himself. He said, in his own personal mission statement, he said, the son of man, he's referring to himself, says he came not to be served, but to serve. That was his life. And if you want to talk about suffering, Jesus knew what it was to suffer as well. And he served and he suffered. And, and in that way, he's our ultimate example. Um, so I'm actually going to leave it there and let you answer in whatever way you choose, Peter. You took my verse. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So Sweet. So that means we'll give more time to Barbara. You know, I'll, I'll just say this. Read the book of Acts, whether you follow Jesus or not, mm-hmm. and what you'll discover. Um, I just was listening. We had a guest, Ben Sternkey. He was interviewing N.T. Wright, and, and N.T. Wright said this. He said, the church didn't ask why. They asked what. There's a story about this prophet named Agabus. Agabus comes in and he prophesies and he says, this land will have famine. The church didn't ask, you know, are they suffering because of sin? You know, the church didn't say, what's the government's problem? You know, the church said, what can we do? And, And I wonder how much would change in our current climate if the church just said, how can I serve? Well, I also say that the church just need to be proactive and not reactive. Mm. And I leave you with this thought. The scriptures say, unless you suffer with me, you can't reign with me. Mm. So we know that we're going to suffer. This is not going to be an easy task than any from preaching from the pulpit, from walking the streets, from serving at the soup kitchen, from passing out food and giving out clothes. It's going to take a woman or a man of God. Let's start. I'm kind of always start with the men of God, and then the <laughs> women of God, and then the children of God. It's going to take all of us understanding that we're going to go through things. Unless we suffer with him, we will never reign with him. Wow. Folks, uh, you can follow Barbara Thomas. Uh, The website is rochesterfamilymission.org. Yes, it is. Make sure you go there. If you live in the Rochester area, we'd highly encourage you to serve there. It's a great opportunity. Um, Not only serve, I'm going to be so bold to say give money to support Barbara Thomas. We love supporting that ministry. You can find us at whygodwhypodcast.com. Uh, use the hashtag WGW podcast. Make sure you rate us and then write a rating. We love hearing good news. Um, we'll take it from there. We hope that you have a wonderful day and thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.